Welcome. Jokerman begins now. Uh, this is disc two of Bob Dylan at Budokan. This is the live album where Bob Dylan traveled to the far east, to the land of Nippon, to visit uh, our friends in Japan. Land of the rising sun, they call it. Yes. Though I think that that also uh, applies to literally everywhere else. Uh, I guess the sun does rise everywhere else, doesn't it? Every day. Most days. Not, I guess, certain places. You wouldn't call the uh, the old North Pole the land of the... Well, in, in fact, it's, it's often the land of the sun just not even moving, just being up in the right, sky. Right, yeah, I guess it depends. Sometimes it's the land of the perpetually risen sun, and uh, other times it's the land of the sun that doesn't So rise. it's... I actually rescind my statement. I take it back. And Japan is the one and only place where the sun comes up. I appreciate you acknowledging uh, logic this and is, facts. Like well, that. on this podcast, we grow and change and we try new things and we admit when we were wrong. Just like Bob. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, does he admit when he no, was wrong? He doesn't usually do that, actually. He he does grow and change and try new things. I guess maybe by doing that, that's how he admits that he's wrong. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's his way. What we're doing on on these this episode and and the one before is is we're actually admitting that that we were right. We're admitting that Bob is right about the way that he performed in some cases that, that some people don't b- believe in. That's true. We are uh, reclaiming Budokan, I, I would say. I think that's that's my project, at least. We're reclaiming the parts that need to be reclaimed. Um, because to just shovel this all into the bin would be something a moron, an idiot would do. Something that someone who writes for a certain website that proclaims to review all types of music, perhaps. Yes, that guy at allmusic.com definitely wrote a <laughs> negative review of this record. But I think he's not alone. I, I think there's a lot of sickos out there in, in indie rock even. People, people who go, oh yeah, I love Dylan, who would say it that way. Who who um, they probably have passed this record by in countless visits to Amoeba Music uh, and thought, "Feh, I don't want this." Yeah, I realize now doing this, like I, I wish my my Bob physical collection was a little broader than it is because I only have I only have stuff up through blood on the tracks basically and then infidels and then uh you know a couple of more recent like cover records and the um uh, and a couple of the bootlegs but i yeah i really wish i had like this i wish i had planet waves no i do have planet waves i have planet waves but like this desire street legal I, basically i wish i had the entire thing i need to uh 
need to <laughs> need to dive back into the dollar bins as soon as yeah, I can. Yeah, you, you really need to go and buy every single Bob Dylan album as a physical copy, right? It's honestly true. And I mean, I'm glad that one of us has the disposable income and, and frankly the will to do this because I um, <laughs> don't. But uh yeah, I I don't really either, but uh, I I also don't have the um the the impulse control to avoid doing it. Although, I guess my impulses have been controlled by virtue of the fact that I can't go to record stores anymore. Right. I've been to record stores actually recently. Yeah? Yeah, I've been inside. Here? Yes, in in New York. I was in I was in the record store where I bought uh Bitter Tears, the that Johnny Cash record I mentioned in the Village. Right. Oh. There's record stores that are open. I guess, and there's, I guess, places are open, aren't they? There, are, yeah. yeah, yeah. You just have to, you have to go in and say, "I'm not sick." Right. Yeah, and then they just uh, they usher you on in. They take your word for it. What I would really like is the uh, the Rough and Rowdy Ways uh, album. It's uh, it's a double LP set. And I think there was some limited edition that came out on like the that like weird canary yellow color that the font is oh, written boy. in. That sounds um, right up yeah. my alley, so to speak. Yeah. That sounds good. So I'm uh that's on that's on my Christmas list. If you want to get me a Christmas gift this year. Oh I think I will. Yeah. You just have to get me one too. That's the deal. Yeah. We we can each get each other a vinyl copy of Rough and Matty Ways. Don't spoil it. <laughs> Uh, well, um, yeah, we, our, our, uh, our job tonight, actually, this is a, a peek behind the curtain. Uh, this is actually being recorded several days after the original, uh, Budokan episode was recorded. We usually power through the whole thing together at once, but Budokan was just so immense that we needed more time and more space, uh, mentally and, uh, temporally to, uh, <laughs> temporally, you could say, because we're in to, uh, Japan. Tem- tempura. 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 Yeah. Uh, yes, we're recording several several days after the original one, uh, or the previous one, uh, but uh, but I think are, are going to be able to pick up pretty seamlessly here on side three, side C, however we want to phrase it, of, uh, of record two. The first song on here, what is, wait, what is the first song? The first song on here is the great blown in the wind. Right. Um, I felt just to jump directly onto this one, that, uh, this is actually vocally a very good version of blown in the wind because Bob sounds like he really is connected to the words. Actually, he sounds, I think really clear eyed and, um, it, it has a poignancy to it without being too flashy. And it stands out amongst the what the rest of what we've heard so far for that reason, actually. I think it comes across as a very controlled vocal performance. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, I think I think this is a very nice vocal performance on his behalf. Uh, I, I think this is actually the start of kind of a very, very nice run uh, for the first few of these songs on this uh, second disc uh, that are all big hits as far as I'm concerned. Um I, I also think it's it's like like this this is a perfect example right of where of where this this 
big band Budokan project, whatever, you know, the 1978 tour sound. Uh, this is this is where it really kind of shines, I think, and, and does uh, service to his material that he hadn't been capable of doing uh, in the past because, um, you know, a, a lot of the songs that you have, you know, from the 60, you know, the, after he went electric, basically, um, you know, are, are electric sounding songs, right? And, and uh, you know, they're, they're rave ups and, and rockers and, and they, they sound good loud and, and live and in person, but... The earlier stuff, like "Blown in the Wind," for instance, doesn't doesn't translate so easily to um, to you know kind of that that uh, that thin wild Mercury sound that he was uh, he was going for. Um, you know, you can play it on an electric guitar, but it doesn't. Just kind of the the rhythm and the tempo and the and the spirit of the song don't really make sense um, getting uh, getting mowed down the same way that he does with. Um, with um, a Rolling Stone or something like that, and so, so, so I think the treatment that he can give it with this sort of situation on Budokan, uh, where it is a, it's a more schmaltzy, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, more um, uh, syrupy and and uh, affected kind of performance. This this is how he can he can you know remake a a classic older song like this that originally was just him and an acoustic guitar, and that's it. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it couldn't have, I guess, I mean, I guess he did, he did kind of, uh, revive this on the, um, previous tours as well, but for some reason, yeah, just the, the treatment that it gets here is, is the one that works the best for me that, you know, that, that very like shallow like yeah. piano and that, that's basically all the accompaniment he gets for half the song. It's got a very just, I don't know, dramatic, uh, certainly schmaltzy. It is schmaltzy, um, but uh, I, again, I think that his vocal is, uh, enough of a contrast to that that it doesn't go overboard and feel like something you're seeing at at the uh like a cover band play at at a parade or something if it still retains um at the at the canyon club yeah the civic arts plaza (laughs) um it uh still has a little bit of uh i mean it's blown in the wind you know you can't if yeah. if you deliver if Bob is delivering those lyrics with a halfway of a of a real feeling, it, it's gonna be something better than most things. Yeah, me. and just to kind of continue the thread or thought, I think that we were uh, pulling on previously on the on the last episode where some of the you know he didn't sound terribly engaged in some of the tracks and or they didn't they didn't come off quite as well as they should, like Rolling Stone or uh, Ballad of a Thin Man, for instance. Uh, I think Blown in the Wind is an example of a song that really does um, come off uh, very well on this record, just like I Shall Be Released, for instance. And uh, and it's no coincidence that both of them are these kind of, these more... They're aspirational, I, I think. Yeah, aspirational, innocent, sincere, mm-hmm. emotional, heartfelt, whatever kind of adjective yeah. you want to use for it. But yeah, it's it's that, it's the, it's the soft-hearted, you know, uh, really inside... Uh, region of Bob, I think that that uh, works for him really well on this tour. Uh, less so the hard-edged, you know, snarling sunglasses at night, um, you know, kind of uh, a badass. Um, so the you know the further he goes in that direction, I think the more successful he is. And, and Blown in the Wind is is a perfect example of of how successful he can be. I think uh, the one vocal thing that um, I would be remiss not to make a note of is when he says. Out of basically nowhere, when he does uh, 
be allowed to be free. Yeah, and, and I also, like it. it's F-U-H dash R-E. And uh, karai. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, uh, uh, it's a choice. It sure is. One last note on this. I, you know, there's not uh, much to dig into on a comment like this, but uh, it, it has some very Yola Tango guitar vibes on this uh, on this track. Yeah. That like very warm, big, broad kind of guitar tone. It sounds like something straight up painful or something, uh, which uh, which I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. So vibes, uh, vibes, right, right to right to start on the first song of this uh, second. Disc. Though I, w- I will say that. Listening to this is only confirmed, in my opinion, that the best version of this is not by Bob Dylan and is actually that Neil Young and Crazy Horse version, which I just think is um, phenomenal and goes as far as you can go in in terms of adding like some shoegazy, like 90s guitar energy to this song. It's a real... What what a terrific what a knockout that song is. Um, that is a pretty uh, uh, pretty rocking version. Yeah, but this one pretty good. It's great. I did. And uh, the next track, I actually it kind of took me aback a little bit when I was I was listening to it again um, a little bit more carefully because it's uh, just like a woman and. I, and and I really felt listening to this that it was kind of like a a window in time where where Bob stepped right out of the blonde on blonde era and it I I kind of just felt the old razzle dazzle from that uh from this performance which I think of all of the songs on this entire from both of these shows that this record's made up of um this one seems to me to be the least adorned and really I think effectively is a, a very straightforward yet still somewhat modernized for the time version. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Right. You think that uh, you think that it sounded like, like the original kind of 65, uh, yeah, well, I think this? I could, it's like what I would imagine if you if if I didn't know what Bob's career was like and somebody just told me, you know, after listening to Blonde on Blonde and that's all I know, like, okay, well, what do you think it sounds like when he performs this in 1978? I would think that it was something like this, where it doesn't sound like there's a lot of futzing with the song, right. but... There, there is certain uh, uh, sonic signifiers that place it in that year, but um, I feel like it's a it's the sound of a more mature Bob in some way, even if it's like a little bit more of a muted approach. I I feel like it uh, generally uh, connects with me. Yeah, I feel that. I'm kind of I'm listening to it right now in the background of my headphones. It is um it, it's uh it's I, again I think that just like I was saying before, I think it fits into this more tender um uh emotional kind of uh headspace that he was in um that uh that makes those kinds of songs work particularly well. 
on this uh, on this record. Um, you know, and and yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's it's in terms of like arrangement and and tempo and just kind of vibe overall. It is it is as 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 true to the original uh, as as he's likely to get on this record. Like I when think. he goes into the um, harmonica at the end, I just find it like I had a little bit of a smile because it feels like. Uh, like a through line from you know the early days of this song, it just seems like uh, some things never never change. You know, it's good. It's that classic uh, that classic BDS Bob Dylan sound that we all that know. BDS, and love. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, I just watched this little clip um, that I found mm-hmm. of Bob in Japan, like making his. Uh, entrance at some kind of press conference in Tokyo in 1978, of course, uh, arriving for these shows, presumably. And it's um, honestly kind of like Kafka-esque how, because (laughs) he, he travels all this way. He's, He's gone so far in his career. He's, he's, he looks tired probably from jet lag and also just general malaise to some degree bearded puts on his glasses as he shuffles into this interview and is immediately asked the same exact type of questions that he was asked in the sixties, but this time it's in Japanese. It's just like, you're a God, you're the God of folk singers. And he's like, I'm not the God of folk singers. Then what are you? I'm, and he says, I'm just a person. <laughs> and uh, then we see some scant footage of him actually performing during uh, these shows, which is all very poor quality. But um, this little snippet, this like newsreel or whatever it is, um, is accompanied by some fabulous late 70s Japanese synth. Um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> スーパースター、ミスターバブドゥン。あの、一般にですね、フォークの神様と言われてますが、そのことについてはどのように思うでしょうか。Well, there is not a lot of high quality footage or photos that I'm aware of anyway, uh, of any of Bob's visit to the East to, to, to Nippon. Yeah. I'm looking at the video right now, uh, on just on the, uh, on the Jokerman Twitter account, follow us at Jokerman podcast. Um, where you can see a clip of this video that Evan is talking about. Uh, absolutely just awful, <laughs> awful beard. It's just like the worst possible facial yeah. hair. It's so bad. But it's like it's patchy, but it's also kind of long and like kind of grown out. Like he like yeah. if he could grow a real beard, it would be kind of a big bushy uh, you know, mountain man kind of thing, but he can't, so it's just these weird kind of little like inch long wisps that are all congealing into the hair about just this is a really this is a really unique period in terms of the uh, the visual appearance of Bob, I gotta say. 
on on this note, we uh, we haven't touched on it quite yet, uh, but uh, the cover of of Budokan. Right, I think that's right. Um, well, more importantly, the back cover. But yes, both. Um, Can you yeah, uh, fill us in on the back cover? Well, the back cover is uh, black, and it features a very stark, high contrast image <laughs> centered on the on the LP of Bob wearing the outfit that he wore to perform, which, as far as I can tell is all white, Mm -hmm. it has a vest, (laughs) and it has big puffy sleeves like a pirate shirt, like a a Seinfeldian pirate It really does literally look like the puffy shirt. And I I think I I posted on the Jokerman uh, account on Twitter a picture side-by-side of of something which occurred to me was that he looks with the red lighting a lot like the, uh, the visage of... Ben Gazzara in uh, the, Ch- the Killing of a Chinese Bookie mm. when he's wearing that big puffy sleeve shirt with the ruffles. And uh, those came out not not far from each other. Um, the, the killing of a Chinese Bookie and, and Budokan, you're saying? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not within a f- couple of years, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously, John Cassavetes, very great filmmaker. Ben Gazzara, one we of my favorite him. actors. And... Um, his films and and Bob Dylan, I think, attract me uh, for similar reasons in some ways, which, you know, I won't elaborate on. <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, also, some really incredible merchandise on this tour, which, again, uh, follow us on Instagram at uh, Jokerman Pod, I think. It's different Jokerman's than the Twitter podcast. Is it, no, is they're it, the same. It's podcast on both of them? That's right. Okay. Uh, well, follow us on Instagram as well if you want to get a glimpse of some of the uh, really just absolutely, you know, top-notch fits that were being sold on this tour, uh, including one that would appear to be like a series of circus animals all riding yeah, yeah, bicycles or something. They kind of look like the animal cracker animals. Right, and right. Yeah, it's kind of like pastel colors. Very cool, very bizarre. Other ones like a big D, like the letter with... A little baby or infant, like, running after it, attached to, like, a string and a woman's leg or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but back to the the cover, the front cover, which is really, I think, maybe it's a, a, it's a big reason why this album is um, treated as poorly as it is. <laughs> you look at this album cover and it's hard to imagine that there wasn't a better picture to pick. <laughs> it's not it's not even like a bad picture necessarily. It's just not a good picture. It's not a good picture. I agree. <laughs> it's just like like I'm sure there are like like 15 different images right in this series that all have the same sort of composition and lighting and everything and you just line them all up on a contact sheet and this would be like you know, the 14th best of those 15 or something, you would just immediately, immediately trash it. Yeah. I mean, let's describe it. The way that he looks in it, I suppose was meant to be like romantic and brooding. It's Bob Dylan with a stark black background as it's taken while he's on stage. It's a very close shot of his head and a little bit of his shoulder, left shoulder. And the 
the lights shining on him are clearly hot red pink and it's sort of lighting up his big bushy hair and he's not he he doesn't have the big beard i guess he shaved uh, most of it off but he's still got like a pretty noticeable stubble and his eyes look very sunken and like there's no life in them he is not there's no real expression on his face and uh at the top of the image it says bob dylan on the left and then at the top right it says at budokan in a kind of vaguely japanesque <laughs> script which in all caps actually looks more like it's made out of bones like a halloween type of uh spooky spooky font, font right yeah <laughs> yeah, the, the image appears to have been selected by the same person in the Columbia marketing department who came up with the uh, the unforgettable line for Street Legal, uh, as you know. Uh, as you know, <laughs> there is a new Bob Dylan album out on Columbia Records and Tapes, and it's called Street Legal, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I the, might be butchering their prose. Uh, that's the the important part. The important part is the the as you know there at the beginning. As you know, uh, which as uh, I'm sure you're aware, there seems to have been not a whole lot of attention and effort uh, put into uh, selling Bob and making him look exciting and appealing uh, at this particular moment in time by the record label by by the by the fine folks at Columbia. I guess they were too busy, uh, you know, trying to catch up with the new waivers and the punk rockers. I actually kind of like the as you know thing. Oh, no, I think it's it's fantastic. I I think it's great. It's like, and it's true, you know, if if you're talking about the the real heads. And it's it makes everybody into a real into a Jokerman, really. Uh, It does. I, I see what you mean, although at the same time, it's sort of. Seems like it defeats it's the purpose also, of marketing yeah. because if you, as you, if you know, as you know, there wouldn't be any reason to advertise the record. No, no it's funny. It's, it's it's actually the whole purpose of it is to flatter the egos of like insufferable people who love Bob Dylan <laughs> and think that they're smart. It's just like as you know. As you, yeah, as you particularly um, uh, intelligent consumers know, yeah. there's a new Bob Dylan record out. It's literally like a, the Grey Poupon commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> street, but for, street legal, the Grey Poupon of Bob Dylan albums. It is. We should do a, a thing about, we should revive the what food is this? Or, right. or maybe even what mustard what is mustard, this? What right. mustard, right. Which mustard is, is Budokan? Obviously it's wasabi uh yeah yeah it's definitely some sort of wasabi it's a a hot mustard yeah um a horseradish type of now i'm trying to think of this desire i think would be like a spicy brown (laughs) yeah i guess so yeah um you would get uh you know like french's classic yellow would be i guess just highway 61 right Mm. or would it be like uh the freewheeling i kind of feel like i guess it'd probably be freewheeling right Highway sixty one might might be the French's just straight yellow mustard. You think? Yeah, and um, blonde on blonde is just the um, blonde on blonde it, would be one of those stone ground like very like intense kind of hearty mustards that you get in a glass jar. Right. Or on the other hand, blonde on blonde could be 
simply um, no mustard because you're too up on amphetamines to even look at your sandwich. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Yeah. All yeah. All uh, all all you've got is just a, a slab of dry roast beef on kind of a stale rye bread. And you you just drink five coffees and leave before you pay the bill. Yeah. But we digress. <laughs> this has been uh, which mustard is just, up. Join us next time for the further riffs about which Bob Dylan album is which type of um, uh, barbecue sauce. I think we've actually we we kind of went too quickly over that. I, it's not. It's that's a segment I'm willing to take more seriously in the future. So am I. We can. Um, I don't even think we're done with mustards. No, definitely not. We can. We can maybe do an all mustard. We can have Ori on or something and do a do a whole mustard breakdown. Friend of the pod and fan of mustard. Yes, Ori, noted mustard connoisseur. Uh, where were we? Well, we had just finished. Talking about mustard. I don't, I don't know. Where were we? We're on to the third song. On, oh, Sister. On the record. On side C of the record. Yes. Oh, Sister. Yeah. And Oh, Sister, I found this version to be really interesting. Uh, not like in a way that I love or really care about, but it's cool because it's a completely different vibe than the Oh, Sister you and I and everyone knows from Desire. And it's uh, actually turned that song into kind of a, how would you describe it? I, I almost think it's like a Dr. John adjacent, like swampy blues experiment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree. This is a very interesting kind of, reinterpretation of Oh Sister, one of the more recent tracks in the discography that's appearing on this record. Um, I actually do really uh, dig this version. I think this is kind of, this is what uh, Oh Sister was always supposed to be or, or uh, always could have been as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's very kind of dark and brooding and like sinister. Yeah, um, almost me- menacing and yeah. like sexual. Yeah, sexy at the same time. Exactly. Really plays up the incest angle. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty hot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that it's. Uh, I, th- I think it's great. Uh, this this again kind of continues the hot streak. I think that he's on 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 this side of the record, um, and uh, and really turns it into a more interesting kind of song for me. I think because the I mean the lyric is it you know it's it's it it's fine. Um, but like appearing on Desire, where where it appears, I think it, it doesn't really grab me uh, quite as much as it could, uh, you know, coming after Hurricane and ISIS, the unforgettable Mozambique, of course, um, and then coming immediately <laughs> before uh, things like Black Diamond Bay and Sarah. It's just kind of lost there in the middle for me on the record, um, especially because it's not a particularly interesting recording as far as I'm concerned. But this is yeah. this is like this this kicks ass. I actually like it a lot better than the original. And um, when I was listening to it, I was kind of wishing that they had just that they had gone even further with uh, playing this up and hamming this up because it could be like a really gnarly, like fuzz guitar vehicle. 
Yeah, if this, yeah, I mean, if this was, if this was, a, if this was a Neil Young song and he was doing this with Crazy Horse, I think that would have been the direction that he took it. Or if Jack White ever wants to like cover this for some reason, that'd if be he cool. ever wants to stop uh, being the the Johnny Depp of of rock and roll, why would you stop doing that? You know, somebody's got to be him. I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. He he looks like the Joker uh, more and more every year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, trying to just picture him now, but he looks more and more like Michael Jackson every year. I think that like he, late era Michael. Jackson. Yeah, I guess I see that. He he looks like that, and he also looks like Jack Nicholson when he isn't in the Joker makeup in the in the Michael Keaton Batman. 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 You can you can clean that up in post. Uh, some great moaning also by Bob and the backing vocals on on O Sister, which kind of fits in with that uh, you know that hot sexy kind of vibe i think right oh sister a song about having an inappropriate relationship because your sister is a nun um that's that's a, my interpretation of this sure song. I, I i think that flies Inter- inappropriate at least on two levels there uh well the next song is just a little love story Happened to me. <laughs> he's such a he's such a ham. It's it's how he introduces simple twist of fate. Um, Au contraire, Bob. This is just uh, an adaptation of a Chekhov story, right? Somebody has to tell him that. Uh, this is okay. Yeah, this is this is where the hot streak I think comes to an end for me. It begins to be cool. Cooler. Cools down, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fine. You know, like I'm never gonna say no to simple twist of fate. Um, but this one is not it, there isn't much of a reinterpretation going on here. Um, you know, it's well it's, he th- he throws a lot of different lyrics. Well that's at it. that's the thing, yeah. It's it's less a reinterpretation of the sound and more of the lyric, which is like I you know, you always appreciate hearing that. Um it, for some reason it seems like the to me it seems like the Blood on the Tracks songs, he's always kind of been more willing and able to reinvent lyrically throughout his career. Um, like we'll yeah. hear, you know, a few years from now when we get to real live, the version of um, Tangled Up in Blue. Tangled Up in Blue on there, exactly, which is like a whole different song, basically. One of the better reinventions lyrically of a song from Blood on the Tracks, whereas I've always felt, I've maybe warmed up to it a little bit, but like, when I first was really, really into Blood on the Tracks when I was like a late teen or or so, and I was really eager to like hear him play it in different ways, um, I was always kind of annoyed and bummed out that he changed the lyrics because mm-hmm. it actually kind of diminished the song a little for me. I was like, oh, you didn't, these lyrics weren't good enough for you, Bob. <laughs> like I always thought the original lyrics were really good and actually told the story in a very concise and uh, evocative way. Right. So like when he would just like throw different things at it, I I used to get kind of like peeved or just not interested in that, that version. Mm. And, um, this one is, uh, a little bit like that for me too, but maybe it's just a, a simple, uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's like I, I always 
again, like what is a live record for, right? It's it's for reinterpreting and and it's for just, ruining songs. Yeah, yeah, it's for ruining songs. <laughs> uh, like all of the um, all the goons online uh, who who hate this record so passionately, of I which j- there I are k- many. I kid. I'm joking. Um, it, you know, it's it's just for it's for reinterpreting and and fucking with these these songs that you've heard literally one million times already. So much, in fact, that like the original versions stop having an effect or or like lose their original meaning on you because you've just heard them so much that like they stop even penetrating into your into your skull at, at a certain point. So, giving you a new variation of a song that you're very familiar with kind of shocks you back into that original feeling, I think, and lets you re-engage with the song on the level. Uh, that you did initially, you know, that made you fall in love the first time. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's great to get something like this, uh, from that standpoint, but you know, as, as far as a live cut version goes, especially on an, a record like this, that has so many other batshit arrangements and, and just completely off the wall, uh, attempts, it just, it kind of, kind of fades in the background for me. Um, but, uh, like I said, I, I definitely appreciate the, definitely appreciate the, the, different attempt at the lyric even if it isn't it's the canonical version by any means right uh speaking of different attempts at lyrics we've got a different attempt at banter too it's this next one which is absolutely perplexing and i have (laughs) no idea what he means he says of the last song that was straight from chicago Uh and then he says this is from the Mojave Desert. Yes. Which, um, you know, I would just take as classic Bob Dylan uh, trickster wordplay, just non sequitur, which I guess it is. It's just weird because it doesn't see I, I for I didn't read it that way initially <laughs> because it seems like, oh, you're trying that stuff again. You're You're just like gonna pull out of the hat like some kind of tarantula era cosmic jokesmanship like yeah i I don't know that he necessarily means anything by saying this is straight from the mojave desert i don't know if he even realizes what he means uh by saying that i do i do think that all along the watchtower which is the next song uh, I do think that it, it, it always has had kind of a, a deserty kind of vibe to me, but for some reason I have it like set in my mind, like in the, like the fertile crescent, like Babylon area. Me right? too. Well, like, I'm thinking like watchtower, like you're, you're imagining, yeah, like a ancient times you've got the, the jester and the, or the joker and, and the thief. thief. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you're imagining sort of yeah Babylon like ancient old times, you know where businessmen were <laughs> drinking your wine yeah um, yeah it is an interesting wrinkle to then change the scenery and go no this version of uh, this song of of all along the watchtower takes place in the desert and then there's the the lyric about the wildcat and um, that it did roar or right. something like that. I wonder, I wonder, I'm just making this connection now, Mojave Desert, right? Biggest city in the Mojave Desert. What is it? Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas. What other, right what other American city is as full of jokers and thieves as Las Vegas? 
there are others, but um, <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> but Maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollywood, Hollywood too. You know, desert cities tend to be full of um, villainy and things like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe Bob has decided at this particular moment in time that all along the Watchtower is about Las Vegas, just like he's decided at this moment in time that Simple Twist of Fate is about himself, when in fact neither of those things are actually true. Or they are true and aren't true simultaneously. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It's like president like the, it it's it is and isn't about him at the same time. Um, Schrodinger's wild cat. Did growl. Yeah. Um this version includes um right next to each other a section of like straight up van halen style um guitar noodling guitar hero noodling yeah Yeah. and then that goes straight into furious gypsy violin um yeah i'm gonna uh, sing gypsy i'm sorry is that (laughs) The more Roma violin. I'll I'll let it fly. Um, that's just what the genre is called, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, interesting arrangement choice, and right at the end, like a cherry on top, comes a little flute back <laughs> into the mix. You just gotta you gotta you gotta give the people the flute before you're on, before you're done with the song. That's what they're that's what they're here for. That classic it's, Bob Dylan flute. It's pretty funny to me to just every time I hear this, but especially in this context, just remember that oh yeah, this is the one like holdout survivor from John Wesley Harding. Mm-hmm. This is the John Wesley Harding representation in the world that like <laughs> just is what it is like that's how most people if they're ever gonna hear about that record and not be into bob dylan in like a big way it's from just being what what's that song from right yeah it's uh i mean it's a great track i love it um i i think that uh, this version is 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 okay uh again kind of in that same like liminal space with simple twist of fate where it's like not different enough, but not similar enough. So it's somehow dissatisfying or unsatisfying from, from both angles. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is full of flute there. Well, not full of flute. There, there is flute on it. (laughs) That much is true. The flute is like the chaser because the flute comes at the end and sort of pre sages, uh, what's come with the next number, which I think is a real uh, shot in the arm. Really? This record. Really one, one of, of the, the best. Yeah. One of a, an absolutely, I can only describe it as being randomly a really amazing version of uh, this song, which is, I want you. It's and fantastic. I say it randomly is a really amazing version just because, uh, you would not think on paper if I told you what this version is like, that it was any good, um, that it's Bob with like a very mystical sounding flute accompaniment Mm -hmm. and not much else doing this quiet, thoughtful rendition of, I want you the, 
classic song from Blonde on Blonde. That original version is so uh, perfect. I don't know. To to a freak like me, maybe telling me that the the flute version exists, I would be like, hell yeah. But uh, it's better than even that tantalizing description would <laughs> would lead you to think. Would uh, make you believe. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's so we're back. We're back to the reinventions and reinterpretations here. And I think the great thing about this one is like the the original version is such like a rollicking. Uh, like happy, fulfilled, uh, overjoyed, ecstatic kind of Bob. It's like it's it's fast tempoed, it's warm and electric, and he's just rolling along. And like he he wants you, and he has you. Like it, like you you right. belong to him, uh, and he wants you, and he's happy about that. But there's no sort of longing or or um, or any sort of like uh, you know that he's fulfilled at that point. Everything is everything is chill and, and good and looking up. And in this case, I think the yeah, this this the mystical flute, and then he's basically just got like a you know kind of a, a warm electric guitar in the background and a little bit of organ, um, and it's slow. And uh, again, he's he's kind of doing a more affected emotional vocal take on this. It it seems like he wants you and he doesn't have you, right? Where where mm-hmm. before when the original song had been recorded and cut, he had you. Now he doesn't. Um, and there's something yeah, there's something just about the recontextualization of this especially knowing what we know about where he was in his personal life and everything that was going on uh that really makes it just sort of like you know send shivers down my back it's it's uh it's a really kind of um magical little moment in time yeah it sounds like he's at one point it sounds kind of like he's irish or something <laughs> it sounds like he's some kind of ancient seafaring sailor and the song is like to a mermaid and he it, the, <laughs> the moon is shining on his um ivory ship they cracked bills and washed out home blew into my face with scorn but it's not that way he wasn't born to lose you i want you i want you I want you so bad, honey. I want you. It's uh, good. Yeah, it's great. I think this is uh, you know, kind of kind of brings us back around on uh, on. I think we're moving into the, the yeah. This is the last side of the, the home stretch. Point. Yeah, the home yeah. stretch. Uh, you know, after sort of a dip from. A couple of the previous songs. This is sort of a, a a quiet moment in the set and in the record that gets everyone's attention back and uh, and lets you know we're we're winding up for the big finish at this point. And this is really kind of a um, uh, the 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 signal that that's about to occur. The lyrics also like I think the lyrics are are the same or pretty much the same. I think so. Yeah. I I can't say that I have them all committed to memory the same way that I do some other songs. Um, but but just hearing them like. Uh, sung and presented in this way, they sound different. Uh, it sounds yeah. like a different song um, because the focus on the uh, is so clearly on the vocal, and everything else is kind of stripped away and in the background. Where where previously, you know, it is a very literate, rolling um, uh, kind of lyric that he has uh, with lots of fanciful imagery in it, but a lot of it kind of fades away in the background behind the instrumentation and the the chorus, obviously, which is you know just so simple and, and classic and straightforward. 
Yeah, this this version just gives more room for those images to actually have a, their moment and mm. shine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is one of the best things on this record. These records, technically, two of them. And then the next song sounds like Sesame Street Live. <laughs> really, this one is a really kind of uh, jaunty uh, yeah. little version that that kind of baseline at the beginning where he's kind of like you know just tapping his foot and just like bopping you know, along yeah I weaving mean, back and forth i don't mean that do, in a bad do, way but do, the next song do, is um do, all do, i really want to do, do, do and it straight up like i i can't help but imagine like uh, moms in the audience with their little kids like bouncing them on their knee and then elmo <laughs> comes out and is like dancing with Bob as this song uh, goes into its very kid friendly, but also, you know, actually about relationships type of uh, lyrics. Right. It's a song for everyone. It's really got something the whole family can enjoy. It's fun for the whole family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, It's, uh, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great song. I don't know. I don't know that I dig. I like. I, I appreciate it. And I I'm very happy and thankful that we have this version. I don't know that it works as well as the actual, you know, original cut does for me. Um, but it's uh, it's uh, it's very interesting. I think I'm looking at the set list from that night right now. Uh, you know, uh, all I really want to do, obviously, from another side, uh, the last full acoustic record. Uh, he also played Ramona this night which is my favorite song from that record. Uh, I mm. wonder, I'm, I'm very curious about what that, um, about what that version sounds like. I might try to s- seek that out. Um, see if that is a more faithful version or if it has been completely fucked up beyond all recognition, like some of these other tracks. Yeah. We're getting close. Yeah. This next one, <laughs> I just looked this at my notes one, and saw which one was next. <laughs> this, you know, you said your favorite song on this was, uh, last time we, we I shall be released. Yeah. It was, I shall be released. This might be and my favorite one for this second this, record. Well, this is my favorite one just like for Budokan in general, <laughs> because, um, the reggae version of, uh, knocking on heaven's door is just sheer bliss for me <laughs> i don't know uh what happens what, what like what the alchemical combination of of doing this creates uh, but um or why it works but i love what happens here i love that this song is like the dark and and somber lyric that it is with like this Peace Mon vibe. Yeah. Um, it's nothing to it. but uncut vibes. Yeah, this this really is the height of the vibes on the second record. And I'm listening to it right now uh, in, the, in the background. The, that flute is just so... You, you're totally right. Like, it, it is such a somber... It's literally a song about <laughs> dying. And that flute is just like... Just like the peppiest, happy fucking, like... Like you almost uh, imagine like a court jester playing that flute and like leading a a procession of children around the town. It's such a fucking mismatch between the vibe and the lyric on this. And I love it. It's so, it's so good. 
Uh, yeah. But it just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I think it does somehow make perfect sense, but I don't pretend to understand what what you can credit for that. Um, it's as, I, I was, during earlier in the summer, I was grilling, I was out grilling um, on the 4th of July, actually, and I was listening to this. And it was um, as close to 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 the Lord as I've ever felt whilst grilling. <laughs> this is really like perfect grilling music. I can see this being a pretty good a pretty good grill vibe uh, going. Maybe the fact that it does acknowledge death and also acknowledges reggae is just um, something special run don't walk to um listen to this version knocking on heaven's door beautiful version yeah it's great um the next one is uh, we actually touched on this briefly when we had brian diadario on um and i i mentioned that on on the version of it's all right ma that we have next i feel like the original version of this song this does what this version attempts with with way less effort and i think this version kind of fails yeah this reason um what i'm talking about is that this song is able to conjure i think some of the most intense and pointed and uh razor sharp imagery and succession that bob ever conjured uh, in his, especially in his, you know, high early days of, of songwriting. And this version just uh, attempts to achieve that or like augment that with electric guitar. And the results are actually way less than the sum of, of their parts. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's well put. I think you're exactly right about that. The power of the original version I think comes from, yeah, the, just the, such a spare presentation uh, that is so so driving and and uh, motivated at the same time, both from his lyric and the you know extraordinarily intense uh, guitar playing that he just accompanies himself on, and this version, which is acoustic guitar, yeah, in the original, and it, it's like it creates this tension where the huge ideas and, that he's uh, coming out with in that in that song. It, it creates this sense of like trying to move mountains with just your guitar and like right. it feels like it, he's getting as close as you humanly can get with just sheer angst and a pick. And uh, that's what makes that song like that the original version of It's All Right Ma like still feel like, you know, still something pills teenagers when they hear it. Yeah. Yeah. The original version has got uh, sort of a, like a David and Goliath thing going with the, um, with the, the guitar and the, the lyric and just like man against the world sort of thing. And this is, yeah, this is like, I mean, Budokan, like I, I almost hesitate to use the word corny because Budokan in, in, in its entirety is corny and it in large part succeeds because it is corny. But this is this is one of the ones where it, it it gets too corny, or the corniness doesn't work, or it's just 
corny without being good at the same. It's just like this is, this is uh, you know, this is not much for me. Yeah, and uh, it's not helped by the banter that Bob feels the need to uh, inject into their the very beginning, which is as close to cringe as you ever really get on this with the banter. I think um, I forgive it. I mean, it's okay, but he goes, "This uh, this is it's all right, ma." I'm only bleeding. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that's the name of the song, Bob. Ble- I know that the I know the title is clever. I know it's a good title. <laughs> the uh I will get to a little more banter, I think, here towards the very end that might be might be just as bad, if not worse. But yeah, I I think oh, the, right. the introduction. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Like we talked about last time, he's he's uh, he seems uncharacteristically willing to try to endear himself to his audience here, which is is the exact opposite approach that he's taken really for his entire career up until this point. Obviously, well, he's, he's probably wondering if that geisha from the from the geisha house. Is that could be it. Maybe the geisha really did still in the crowd. <laughs> the, the geisha really did capture his heart there in old in old Japan. And uh, and he's doing what he can to to win her back. Maybe he'll see her once again. He will. Yeah. What's what does this stupid fucking liner note say again? Uh, someday. I, yes. <laughs> Maybe she'll pick him out again. I mean, <laughs> they can hear my heart still beating in Kyoto at the Zen Rock Garden. Someday I will be back to reclaim it. Do you think he ever went back to reclaim it? Well, I think he's been back to Japan, so. Maybe. Well, but do you think he reclaimed his heart at the Zen Rock Garden in Kyoto? Do you mean, do I think he hooked up with the geisha again? <laughs> Maybe. I wonder if he did uh, have a illicit moment in, in the Zen rock garden and they like ruined the delicate rock pattern on the, on the, gra- on the, gra- <laughs> <in> the gravel. <laughs> the next song is Forever Young. Forever Young, yes. The pen, which is the pen ultimate song on the record, right? And I, is this like the closer, and then the last song is the encore? Is that what happened? Or I don't know. Actually, I'm looking at the. Uh, I've just I'm looking at it on Setlist FM. They have it all collapsed together just into one set. They usually divide it between the set and then the encore. Uh, and according to to Setlist FM, it, there was no encore. But obviously, who knows how uh, reliable that is at uh, at this late date you know, some number of decades after the, the original concert took place. Mm. Well, you really enjoyed this version. I did. Of uh, Forever Young. And I think it's pretty good. Like I said uh, last time, you know, the more, as far as I'm concerned, the more Planet Waves material we get, uh, you know, the, the better anything will be. And and this feels like Bob really kind of for the first time acknowledging that Forever Young is in fact one of his, uh, you know, one of his great one of his great songs. I, I think it slots very nicely into that same kind of mood and spirit that um, uh, I Shall Be Released o- occupies. And and uh, as I as I waxed rhapsodic on previously, I, I think I don't think Forever Young does it for me quite as much like this. The, the uh, there isn't like you know some essential bit of the song that is created here the way that there is with that um, you know guitar riff on on um, I shall be released. 
but uh, even still, like I said, I mean, I, I think that uh, this is one of his really one of his greatest, uh, you know, the uh, lyrical jobs ever, uh, dating back to the very beginning. And, uh, and I'm glad to see him kind of work it, you know, be willing to work it back into this, uh, what is basically a greatest hit set. He's acknowledging that Forever Young is one of his greatest hits, even if it isn't as familiar to the audience, um, or as, uh, as old and classic as some of the other ones. Um, and so stationing it here at the very end of the set, this was, I know they kind of fuck with the order of the songs on live albums from time to time, but according to the set list, this was in fact the second to last song of the night, um, you know, uh, playing it then and there, um, I, I think uh, indicates that he is is finally kind of coming to grips with with uh, what a great song this is. Yeah, and uh, again, this is an instance of one of these broad sort of spirituals that Bob writes uh, mm-hmm. being seamlessly incorporated into this big band plush arrangement style that he's adopting on here. And uh, if this was to be sort of an homage to Elvis, this whole tour um, who had, you know, passed away in uh, 77, was it? Yes. And uh, this, you know, had a large impact on Bob Dylan. Um, If he was trying to emulate the kinds of things that Elvis was uh, able to do in, in the last few years of his performing life, I think it makes sense that those types of songs work so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, your, your suspicious minds, your like impossible dreams, like these types of, uh, like Vegas friendly standard adjacent mm-hmm. r- rock, uh, torch songs really are, um, they work really well with, uh, this, this approach. And that's not to say that those are, you know, at, at their best, that type of material I think is some of the best out there. You could look at this, um, this period and this, uh, this show, even this tour, even as being a proto version of what Bob would eventually fully embrace with the string of cover albums where he's doing a uh, great American songbook material exclusively. I think that by him emulating like late period Elvis and just a general aesthetic approach, he is coming close as he's come to this point to being like one of these great ubiquitous song men of American music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He fits right into the, right into the canon dating back to old blue eyes and Dean Martin running into up to Elvis and then on he's uh he's just part of the he's he's just a guy he's not the god of folk musicians as he said in his uh interview he's just uh he's just a singer right I, I mean he says I'm just a person but I think what why he doesn't say I'm a god of folk musicians or folk songs is partly because he doesn't want to be associated at this point with folk music. He's trying to do something else. Right. He's trying to be more associated with whatever you call what Elvis was doing toward the end. (laughs) Uh, Putting on a show. Putting on the Ritz. Yeah. Uh, And on that note, uh, I think that brings us to the, brings us to the closer here, which predictably enough uh, is, 
probably Bob's, I guess, what do we call it? His most well-known song? I don't even know what what I would consider his most well-known. I guess amongst sort of like a, a general audience that might not be very familiar with him, this would probably be the song that they recognize most. Perhaps, yeah. It's, it's probably the one you're most likely to hear in a school. In a school, yeah. Definitely in a school, but also in like a... Uh, you know, like a, a TV show or something, or or like um, the, or the in, beginning of Watchmen, the film Watchmen. Is is did they play this at the beginning of Watchmen? Yeah, yeah. The, uh. in, the introduction credits, I think, have this, and I think it's the actual version, the original. Yeah, the, on, the only thing I really remember from Watchmen is the the Leonard Cohen Hallelujah sex scene. You don't remember the um, version of Desolation Row? At the end. Oh, that's isn't it like Green Day covering Desolation Row or something? You're close. It's uh, My Chemical Romance. Right. It's MCR. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually really like it's used, there. <laughs> oh, used at the end there. It's like the only part of the movie I really like. I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from, from going further here. That's a pretty good version. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> in, in the same way as uh, some of the versions on this are pretty good. The last song on the record is The Times They Are Changing. That's right. You know, an old chestnut. Yeah. And like we were saying a minute ago uh, about some of the banter, Bob, Bob introduces this with maybe the corniest line that I've ever heard him uh, ever yeah. heard him drop. Uh, it kind of sucks. I, I, I wrote this song, I don't know if it's verbatim, but something along the lines of, like I, I wrote this song 15 ago. years ago. Uh, means still means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to you too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just if there's anything that upsets Bob about this tour being labeled the Las Vegas tour, maybe it's because he knows that he's guilty of some real schmaltzy lines bullshit. Yeah. During this era, and it actually has a little bit of a, a ring of truth to it that. You know, he wasn't able to embody that uh, white, all white outfit with the bongos and the flutes Mm -hmm. without um, also succumbing to some of the the lower impulses of that type of performance. Thank you. You're so very kind. We'll play you this song. I wrote this also about. 15 years ago, it still means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to you, too. <laughs> Such a, I love, but like, I think that's, that's why I appreciate that, that, that kind of shit so much and, and why I ultimately appreciate Budokan so much is because it, it shows us that he's not, he's not invulnerable. He hasn't had a master plan all along. He hasn't always known what he was doing. He, he has, he too, even Bob Dylan has been searching for answers and confused and not, uh, not sure of himself and, and, uh, making, making bad decisions. And so, um, you know, even, even the absolute greatest among us are not, uh, are not always going to be a hundred percent perfect or, or have a hundred percent hit rate. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they ended up, uh, not really going much further or pursuing this, um, this very eager to please, um, sincere stage personality. Um, but, but again, yeah, I'm just, it, I, I'm, I'm very glad that a document of this particular, uh, fleeting moment in time exists because it's, uh, it, it humanizes him for me. 
Yes. But we must remember that this also happened and occurred, uh, both of those, before Street Legal was even released. And before the next great seismic shift in Bob's consciousness and his career, uh, which we will start to cover beginning next episode. Yeah, we've got we've got a little mini series uh, in in store with with his next mini phase. And so, uh, what I mean to say with that though is that uh, this is. I think kind of a, a one-off where what I think of when I think of this record is largely just specifically the, the, the phenomenon of Bob in Japan, which I don't think can be uh, overlooked or I don't think it should be overlooked as being an important factor in what makes this performance what it is. Um, he's in a totally unique situation for Bob Dylan performing in a totally different place than he's used to. And, uh, perhaps that feeling of being uh, a fish out of water or, or something, uh, or the feeling of adventure has inspired some of these weirder moments. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, Oh, and, he did do a whole tour like this. Yeah, so. he did. And and he, <laughs> he ended up going back to America and playing more street legal songs. And from what I understand, I think kind of um, shaping up the sound a little bit. I, I think that this was a very poorly received um, project in the American and English uh, press uh, once he got around to it. And so he, I think he took some of that criticism to heart and sort of it veered away from a little bit of this, uh, you know, the, the schmaltzy Elvis Las Vegas kind of thing that he was doing on this record, potentially to his detriment. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, I don't know that critics can always be trusted, the lying fake news media. Um, it, but, um, yeah, I, I think it is, it, it's not surprising that he would have, or that he would end up making as, as we get to the end of this record and, and, you know, kind of look forward at this point. It's, it's not surprising that he would end up making another hard left turn after this. I think it does kind of feel like he's grasping at straws, searching for answers here and maybe not, you know, maybe not finding them or, or finding them as satisfactory as he might've uh, expected them to be. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the direction that he goes after this, could be anything and the direction he ends up going ends up being uh toward christ uh well yes towards christ and and really the last thing in the world i think many people would have expected um uh potentially bob himself even um but uh, but yeah i think it's 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 clear by the end of this that it isn't it this doesn't like suit him like it doesn't it doesn't fit him well he's, he's uncomfortable doing this um and and it doesn't uh, as as interesting and and endearing as it is to to me and and us as as Bob heads, um, it's it's not something that he himself was terribly satisfied with. I think that you know that's kind of my reading on the outside at least. Well, you know what I'm about to ask you. What are you about to ask me? How, How many? many stars? Yeah, out of three. Uh, I'm going to you know I, I was kind of uh, wrestling with this for a little while. Mm. And uh, and trying to decide what uh, you know, I, I I had decided on one initially, and then I thought to myself, well, you know, what like who am I? Who am I trying to impress? What am I? What am I trying to do here? Why not just 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I should, I, I should, I should give into it when I feel like I, yeah. I, I should give into it. I think I know what you're going to say. Life at Budokan is an unabashed three-star album. It's also a three-star album for me. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. I think that we have to correct the record. And if Jokerman makes even a slight impact in the general texture of received wisdom in in the Bob Dylan fan universe, then let it be known that um, Bob Dylan at Budokan deserves your attention. It absolutely does. And, and to everyone who uh, gets angry at... Uh, the new morning rating on Instagram. This is, this is for you. Please know new morning is a one star album. Ad yeah. Budokan is three stars. That's right. New morning is reheated, uh, leftovers with one really good piece of meat in there. <laughs> it's man and me. Um, the rest is okay. Whatever. I, I take that back. I mean, whoo, <laughs> there's some good stuff on on new morning but i, I was just i got a little too heated just now it's no, okay new morning is is it's good what we need to stress that even one star out of three what do i say Ian? what do i say about that uh i say it's still pretty good still pretty good yeah that's the one that that is the thing i i think that maybe perhaps it's been it's been lost in the in this um uh decontextualized space that we're operating in here but like the Michelin like if the if the three star rating system takes inspiration from the Michelin star rating system even a restaurant that receives a single Michelin star is still one of the very best restaurants that you could possibly patronize and that you could possibly eat at as a sentient uh tire man yes yeah. <laughs> a giant uh, uh marshmallow um, uh, being that uh, is animated by some force from beyond the grave, black magic. Uh, yes, uh, but uh, even even a single Michelin star is something to which all restaurateurs uh, aspire. Um, to say nothing of two or even three. So even you know even when we're only giving a Bob record a, a single star on the three star rating system, mm-hmm. it is still at base at at bottom a Bob record, which me- means and makes it. You know, Me- some, means something. Means something exactly, and and uh, you know we're, we're operating from uh, 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 e- even the very lowest of the low. Um, you know, when it comes to Bob Records, is still so much further beyond. Uh, you know what what else you get out there. So it's, but let, let's not equivocate too much. Um, that's fair. We've given our rankings, and when you die, God will give you His. This has been Jokerman, and. Uh, Next week, I believe we we may have a guest. Or the week after that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Does that do it? Yeah, I think that, that'll do her. Superstar, Mr. Bob Dylan. Don't go water.